<clears throat> What's up, everybody? This is your host, Corey Gray, for the Get a Grip podcast. Welcome back. Um, and I think the biggest welcome back we have to hand out to on this show is the NBA. Um, so, you know, today I'm going to talk about some big topics in the NFL, what's going on with baseball and college football. But first, I want to start with the NBA. How good were those games last night? I mean, for me, forget the sloppiness, forget the rustiness of a lot of the players out there. I'm just happy that sports are back. The NBA is back. There was a lot of great energy out there. And I watched, I've watched three games the last couple of days. I watched the Lakers Clippers, Jazz Pelicans, Celtics Bucks. A lot of energy. Um, benches are going crazy. And, you know, I think when you don't have – when you're playing on a neutral side like this with no fans, you're really going to find out who's really good at the game, who can create their own shot without the help from the crowd. Crowd, let's, let's face it, the crowds really play a huge part in athletes' adrenalines in any professional sport in a playoff setting. The adrenaline really gets you going for home games. And I think – I really do think that the crowd really helps will sh- certain shots to go in at certain times. I don't think it's – I don't think it's fate. I just think, you know, like the crowd has some kind of like cosmic impact on certain shots in certain moments. I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like that that's a thing um, in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, but I just wanted to point out there was horrible officiating in those three games. I mean, listen, I, I get it. You know, you know, these officials haven't officiated and I don't count the scrimmages. I mean, they haven't officiated a regular season meaningful games since early March for a lot of these officials. I was really surprised at some of the calls they were making. I mean, very ticky tack, questionable, soft calls. And then, you know, they let some more physical plays go. This is the problem I've always had with NBA officials. They're way too inconsistent and they give the star treatment out way too much stars, get so many calls to go their way. Just this, just tonight, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's one of the best three to four players in the league. He got away with an obvious goaltending when the ball was still on the rim. He got away with a potential charge on Marcus Smart. And he got away with hitting Daniel Tice um, near the groin area while fighting through a screen. All of this happened in the last five minutes of the game. That's completely unacceptable. I don't care if he's the reigning MVP. I don't care if he's one of the best players in the league. You can't – everyone should be held at the same standard. You cannot let players get away with – egregious and obvious plays like goaltending hitting a player in the groin which is a foul regardless of circumstances and potential charge unacceptable and it wasn't even just that there the lakers clippers game that i that's some of the worst officiating i've ever seen anthony davis was you know obviously you'll give him credit 16 to 17 from the free throw line but he he got a way too many calls to go his way um and I just – I wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed with the officiating. They, they called way too many fouls. And, you know, may, maybe that's because they're just trying to get a feel out. But, again, like all, a lot of these games are important for, stand, for, the, for standings purposes. And you cannot – you can't just go into these games blowing your whistle too much. At this point, it's starting to become a playoff feel. And you got to start treating it like these are playoff games and let the players play more. Um, a couple things, a couple more things I wanted to focus on just the sloppiness. Um, just some quick stats, you know, the the Celtics 
were shooting about 36, 36.5% from, from three on the season. They shot 29% tonight uh, to go with 16 turnovers. The Bucks shot 7% below their season average from three, and they shot 31% with 15 turnovers. The Clippers and Lakers had a combined 38 turnovers between the two teams. And uh, the Lakers also shot below their season average from three. And the Jazz and Pelicans each had uh, a com- uh, com- combined over 40 turnovers while the Jazz shot 23% from three. You know, I-, I think there's a difference between playing scrimmages within your team and playing just random scrimmages. I think you know, a lot of these guys haven't played with each other in four months. So I do think there's going to be some rustiness. You know, a lot of some guys, you know, don't have access to gyms. They don't have courts at their house. They don't have hoops at their house. So, you know, a lot of these guys haven't really had time to these last few months to really get a lot of shots up. And, you know, pro athletes are creatures of habit. And a lot of these guys throughout the season, they're getting hundreds of shots up a day, even on off days. You know, these guys are really putting in the work. And, you know, for a lot of these guys, the routines got disrupted. So you're going to see a lot of bat off shooting nights for even the stars. You're going to see a lot of off shooting nights, a lot of turnovers, uh, you know, communication, chemistry, and, you know, shaking off the rust is going to take time. And that's probably why, you know, the NBA gave these teams eight, you know, games before the playoffs to allow them to work out the kinks, allow them to find good playoff rotations, work on the chemistry, cut down on the turnovers and and start to shoot more confidently from the field. And I think we'll start to see that more as we get to the end of these uh, regular season games in Orlando. But also, again, you know, the rotations are not set yet. We're seeing a lot of guys play that will not play in the playoffs, some chemistry issues, just some notables. That's some off shooting. eggs. Alonzo is two of 13. Brandon Ingram, seven of 20. Jason Tatum, two of 18. Jalen Brown, six of 15, three of 10 from three. Chris Middleton, 6 of 20, LeBron, 6 of 19, and John Morant, 7 of 22. Those are just some notables uh, that had just some really bad shooting nights their first games back. So I, I I expect, you know, especially guys like Jason Tatum and LeBron James, I think as we go along, they're going to, you know, be more efficient and they're going to score more points and be more effective all around. And, again, it's just going to take time to shake off the rust. But, again, the quality was – yeah, it was a little sloppy, some turnovers, some you know, really bad turnovers, some bad shots, some bad shots. Shot selection has been very questionable game the last couple of days. But, you know, I, I think it's good. I think the the players obviously love it. They're happy to be back out there. And I think for as a fan, and I think fans of the league are happy that basketball is back. So, again, um, some quick takes on the teams that have already played. I don't understand what people are talking about with the Lakers. The Lakers are essentially at full strength. They won by two points. Anthony Davis had zero impact in the fourth quarter. Kawhi and Paul George played really well, but the Clippers, you know, they've had a lot of things going on. You know, Montrezl Harrell is still not with the team. Lou Williams has been in and out of the bubble, and he, he you know, will miss Saturday's game against the Pelicans. Pat Bev has missed time. All three of those guys did not play in any of the scrimmages. Landry Shamit and Zubak also played zero minutes in in the bubble. And you know, listen, Shamit and Zubak played like it. They both looked horrible on both ends of the floor last night. You know, Zubak missed a dunk. Shamit was like 0 of 7 from 3. He had a minus 18 plus minus. Uh, Reggie Jackson played a, you know, 34 minutes. And he's only been with the team for like a month before the season shut down. Listen, the Clippers have plenty of time to work on their chemistry issues, but they were missing a lot of pieces last night. A lot of their players were more rusty than the Lakers, plus they had 22 turnovers. 
Um, I think the Clippers are going to be fine. And I think they're they're a better overall team than the Lakers. And I think once the Clippers are at full strength, even if they have some chemistry issues, I think that'll be enough to carry them over the Lakers. Lakers, um, you know, they had, they had some, you know, Alex Caruso, Deion Waiters, uh, Dwight Howard. You know, they made some nice hustle plays and they had, you know, a little bit of an impact as role players. But you know, LeBron had some really nice passes and a couple big baskets late in the game, but he didn't have a great impact on the game. And Anthony Davis was completely invisible in the fourth quarter for whatever reason. Um, you know, Kyle Kuzma hit some big shots last night, but I, I would say that the Lakers are going to have to work on the rotation. And I think LeBron's going to have to get back up to speed um, because as a team, they did not look great. And let me remind you that the Clippers were missing a few players. We're missing a couple players three guys played last night that you know didn't play at all in the scrimmages so I'll just say that Celtics and Bucks uh Bucks you know they're missing Eric Bledsoe and Pat Connington and they didn't really need them um you know Brooke Lopez looked good uh, DiVincenzo looked good um Giannis was obviously unbelievable um the one thing I will say is that I think the Celtics you know they they weren't at full strength either Kemba was on a limit restriction Jason Tatum looked really bad on the offensive end of the floor. Jalen Brown took some bad shots, but you know, Gordon Hayward looked good, nearly had a triple-double. Marcus Smart played really good on defense and uh, shot the ball well. Uh, Daniel Tice had a nice double-double. Um, I'd like to see if Brad Stevens incorporates Robert Williams into the rotation, a uh, name that mo- people might not know, but you know he was a shot-blocking, rebounding specialist and phenom at Texas A&M. There was a reason why he was a first-round pick. I think he could help their back line and potentially guard Giannis. Um, yes, he's not a great – he doesn't really shoot. He's not as good of a, as a passer as Tice. But for defensive purposes, I think he should definitely be in the rotation. Um, and I expect to see these two teams in the Eastern Conference Finals and what could be a very exciting series. And Portland. Um, listen, they're, they're back. Nurkic, Zach Collins are back. Damian Lillard and McCollum look good. And, you know, they beat a team in overtime that's right ahead of them in the standings. So I think if Portland sneaks in, they could potentially give the Lakers a run for their money. And just one quick take on Zion Williamson, why he didn't play more than 15 minutes, I really don't know. I mean, listen, the Pelicans are fighting to try and make the playoffs. Are they trying to get to the playoffs? I don't know. Um, The way it seemed to me is that they were trying to ease Zion back in. And I can understand that Zion, um, you know, Obviously, didn't have a lot of practice time. He had stuff, some family issues going on outside of the bubble, which is why he had to leave. Um, and but listen, you know Zion did not look good on the defensive end of the floor. He was very efficient offensively, but defensively, when he was on the floor, you know the Jazz still really did whatever they wanted to do inside the paint. Um, so I, I think that might have been one reason why he didn't play. But I, I think Zion should have played a lot more in the second half. I mean, even if it was five more minutes, I think that would have been fine. I mean, Zion is, what, 19? I mean, listen, the only way to get back into shape is to play. And I just don't think there was a sense of urgency with Alvin, Alvin Gentry. Frankly, you know what? Even if Zion – listen, Zion didn't play, but there's no there's no excuse for how the Pelicans played that game. They, they blew it. They, they should have won that game easily. Um, they had a huge lead going into the half, and um, they, they blew it. Um, they, they got outplayed by a, a veteran coach team and, and a lot of smart veterans on the other side with Joe Ingles, Gobert, and, and Mike Conley. So give all the credit in the world to the Jazz for, for finding a way to win, but uh, just bad coaching overall by Alvin Gentry. They blew a big lead, 
and just mishandle Zion's minutes. You got to let this kid play. He's he's a special player, and um, they might have just lost their opportunity to make the playoffs. So I wanted to shift in to the NFL, and I just wanted to talk about NFL players opting out, and I wanted to mention the NFL NFLPA deal that was made about a week ago. You can't fault players for opting out for whatever reasons they have. Whether I mean, obviously, listen, if, if there are players that have health concerns, like Michael Pierce, defensive tackle for the Vikings, he just signed with the Vikings this offseason, left the Baltimore Ravens. He has asthma. He has respiratory issues. Obviously, for him, if he were to contract coronavirus, that's a life-threatening issue. So I, I get that. That makes sense to me. And, you know, guys like Dante Hightower, who just had a newborn uh, – who, who just had a newborn child, and Patrick Chung, a safety, both play for the Patriots, who has a son on the way. That makes sense too. Listen, a lot of guys that play this game, that play the, in the NFL, they're playing it for their families, whether it's their immediate families or their, or you know, for their wife and kids. They're playing it for somebody, and I think a lot of players are not going to want to risk the health of their kids. I do think it's worth noting that a lot of the players that are opting out, and I don't know if people have noticed this, but there are players that are opting out that don't have very specific health concerns or don't have, you know, young children that they have to worry about. I mean, take a look at some of these names. Okay. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not faulting players for opting out. All I'm saying is if you look at some of these names, DeAnthony Thomas, Starla Tule, Josh Tapoy, Eddie Goldman, Kyle Pecco, John Atkins, Devin Funches, Eddie Vanderdos, Damian Williams, an offensive lineman for the Chiefs, Michael Pierce, Nate Soldier, Marquise, Marquise Goodwin. A lot of these guys, a lot of these guys do not have help. Obviously, Nate Soldier once had testicular cancer a few years ago. That's understandable. Michael Pierce, as I've said, has respiratory issues with asthma. That's understandable. Patrick Chun, Dante Hightower have immediate family issues. But a lot of these other guys have not said anything about health issues or, or, or family. They just said, I'm concerned. Well, you took a look at a lot of those players. Did, did anyone notice anything about those players? The first thing that I noticed when I saw the, those list of players is that a lot of those guys are not impact starters and they're lower in the rotation and they're lower on the depth chart. That's what I noticed. So what I'm seeing is, and I could be wrong, and again, I'm not going to fault people for opting out for whatever reasons, for whatever personal reasons they have. I understand some people don't want to share what they have going on. I get that. But uh, for me as a competitor, I would play just because you know, I would believe that the NFL is going to do everything in their power to protect the players because the players, let's face it, it's a business. The players make the league money. So they're going to do whatever it takes to protect their players and make sure they're safe so they're able to have a season. Because if there's no season, the NFL is going to lose billions of dollars in revenue. Um, but a lot of those guys are not immediate starters, most of them. And there are guys pushing for their jobs or they're buried on the depth chart. You know, And, and I just think 
you know, listen, I, I think Damian Williams is a great example. He had a really big impact in the Super Bowl, but listen, they just drafted a running back in the first round out of LSU, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and that's definitely in the back of his mind. And he's probably thinking, well, you know what, if I'm not the immediate starter, why risk my health? There are going to be guys. I get it. But again, guys have their own reasons, but a lot of the guys that have opted out are starters or in some are starters, some are in the rotation or some are buried in the depth chart. But a lot of those guys are playing for bad organizations that have no chance at the playoffs. And you've got to, you got to wonder if that goes into their mind. And I think it does one more take on the new England Patriots. I'm tired of, you know, some people have said in the past few days that Bill Belichick has a plan. He has, he had influence in some of these Patriots opting out six Patriot players opted out four were starters on last year's team and um, two were more, you know, one was signed from the Packers as, as a full, a fullback and, and he opted out and they had a, another you know player kind of like buried on the depth chart. Let me just say this. Belichick had nothing to do with those players opting out. Those players opted out for very specific personal reasons, whether it was family or whether it was a health concern. I completely understand that. But I also will say, that Brady leaving certainly had an impact. I think a lot of those guys, um, the, the out of all those Patriots, you know, almost all of them have won a, at least one ring with the team. And Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung have won multiple rings with the Patriots. So in their minds, listen, we got family concerns, but also Brady's not there. We're not going to be super competitive next year. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback room with Cam Newton and Jared Stidham. There's a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball. And are we going to have to carry the team? That's how I kind of looked at it. I don't think – I do think that Brady not being there certainly has an impact. How much of an impact? I don't know. But I definitely think it has an impact. And I, I definitely don't think Belichick had anything to do with it. But, again, the league and the Players Association, their, their agreement – was generous and more than fair. Um, you know, players, you know, that are high-risk candidates will receive a 30, 350000 stipend and their contract will toll. And voluntary opt-outs will receive a 150000 salary advance and their con- contract will toll as well. Um, and um, basically, they're going to get more time to prepare for the seasons. Uh, they got a 20-day ramp-up period and a maximum of 14 padded practice. Um, listen, they're going to get plenty of time to get ready for the season. And I think the NFL, I've seen videos online of, of you know, buildings and um, for or- different organizations of just how they've started to prepare for social distancing and making sure players are good to go every day with all the, the tests and you know, um, they're doing, you know, like ID scanners instead of like actually op- touching and opening the door. I mean, I think it's, I think teams are getting very innovative and, and, um, and I, I think they're going to be really prepared for, um, this upcoming season. Shifting to Jamal Adams. Oh, where do I start? Um, listen, Jamal Adams, great player. Um, you know, arguably, arguably best safety in the league. And if you want to make the argument, worst case scenario, he's a top three safety in the league. Um, he's been an all pro two of his first three years in the league and a pro bowler two of his first three years in the league. 
listen, I'm not saying Jamal Adams isn't a great player. He's he's a he's a great player. And as far as football IQ goes and talent and his versatility, he's one of the smartest and most versatile players in all of football, regardless of which side of the you know ball you play on. That's that's just a fact. But listen, Jamal Adams burned the bridge. He burned the bridge. Uh, the relationship was broken. And, you know, Joe Douglas can say whatever he wants, but Joe Douglas has been looking to trade him for the past couple months. There's a way to handle contract negotiations, okay? Look at what Patrick Mahomes did. Patrick Mahomes balled out on the field. He didn't say anything, okay? He never mentioned his contract ever, and he got rewarded with a huge 10-year deal, okay? When you ball out, and, you know, a lot of times – you know, sometimes holding out is what needs to be done. I mean, Aaron Donald did it, and Aaron Donald became, you know, the richest player in NFL history before Khalil Mack passed him um, with his deal. Um, sometimes holding out needs to be hap- needs to happen. But Jamal Adams handled this so poorly. First of all, if you want to get paid, okay. Obviously, you got to earn it on the field, which he did. However, it's all about relationships within the organization. He has a new GM. And when you have a new GM that comes in that didn't draft you, is it, do you think it's smart to bash him, to bash your head coach, to bash your owner? Now, the owner situation is different. He made some comments that were alleged comments. You know, he's being investigated. That's a little different, but you call out your owner, you call out your, your coach, you call out teammates, you call out your GM. I mean, what does Jamal Adams expect? When you do all of those things, you're not going to get your contract. You're not going to get paid. So I don't understand what Jamal Adams was thinking, what he or thought he was going to get accomplished. Yes, I do think the best way to win in the NFL is you draft really well and you keep players that you drafted and developed. And that's what the Jets should have done. I do think they should have paid Adams early. Get him under get him under wraps. However, Adams did not handle this situation properly at all. Okay, by just he talks a lot, he's on social media a lot, he ripped his teammates, his GM, his coach. Regardless of what you think about Adam Gase, and regardless of what you think about the Jets ownership, that's just that's not how you get paid. Having said that, the Jets got a great return for him. Two first round picks, a third, and a and a starting safety. That's a pretty good deal. Um, listen, Joe Douglas deserves the opportunity to build this team the right way. And, you know, listen, coming in his job, you know, he has a lot of things he's got to work on the offensive line, the secondary, finding depth in the front seven, finding a, a, a number one right wide receiver. He has a lot of things that he has to do for this team. And Jamal Adams demanding a contract extension in these uh, trying times is not an ideal fit for what his vision of what he wants to do with the Jets. So I don't blame Douglas for trading him at all, and he got great value for him in return. Now on the Seattle Seahawks side, they haven't been drafting well lately. Um, you know, a lot of the Seahawks in their past few drafts, a lot of the guys that they've been drafting aren't even on the team. Some of those, some of their most recent picks haven't worked out. Now DK Metcalf was really good last year. Will Disley had some good games last year before he got hurt. Shaquem and Shaquille Griffin have had some good positive moments. Michael Dixon, the punter, has been really good for them. Trey Flowers has been good for them in the secondary. But 
I mean, you're, I'm looking at a lot of these guys that they've drafted in the last five drafts. A lot of them aren't even on the team anymore. And if they are, they're buried on the depth chart. The point is, is that Seattle has not been drafting well, and they're, they typically pick in the late first round anyway. Why not trade for an all-pro safety who will be the leader of their defense along with Bobby Wagner going forward? But I do think that it's up to Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. They need to understand Adams. They need to listen to him. And I do think that Adams playing for a more stable organization will certainly help. You know, listen, winning usually cures most of the problems. The Jets weren't winning. And Adams can say he wanted to be a Jet for life. But the reality is that you can say one thing, but when the team struggles, you're not winning, you, you, you're frustrated with your head coach, you're frustrated with some of your teammates, I get it. You know, Jets have had a history of losing the last 20 years for the most part outside of a few seasons here and there. So I can understand. So, you know, the Seahawks have been one of the most winningest franchises the past decade. So I think Adams going to a winning organization will have a chance to win a Super Bowl year in and year out as long as Russell Wilson's healthy and being able to stand on two feet. I think that'll certainly help Adams, and Seattle is certainly going to pay him the money. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made that trade. Quick shift over the ba- to baseball. Baseball's in trouble. Uh, Miami Marlins had 18 positive cases, players and coaches in the last week. The Phillies have been, haven't been able to play the past five, six days due to what happened with the Marlins and having all the players needing to be tested. And then they had a couple of staffers that tested positive and they had to cancel workouts. Um, St. Louis Cardinals have had a couple of cases pop up. When this happens, and I don't think people realize this, this affects a half a dozen teams, Okay. Okay, so let's just take the Marlins, for example. So the Marlins have all these positive cases. They play the Phillies. Okay, guess who that affects? Well, that affects the Yankees because the Yankees were supposed to play the Phillies. So that that series, all four of those games got postponed. That affects the Orioles because the Orioles were supposed to play the Marlins. The Orioles ended up playing a two-game series with the Yankees these past couple days as most of the Marlins players were stuck in Philly trying to pass all these tests. Then it also kind of affects the Braves because those are where the Marlins had their last exhibition games before flying up to Philly. I guess who the Braves played? The Mets. So th- this these positive tests, they don't just impact the team with the positive tests. It impacts five or six other teams, future, past, and current opponents, because it screws up all the scheduling. And with a short season and not a lot of off days, a lot of these games may not even be able to be made up, even with baseball and the Players Association putting in a new – um, you know, doubleheader um, style game starting August 1st. Um, listen, it's all it's all up to the players. You know, I, I've had a conversation about this with a couple of different people. It's all up to the players. They need to hold themselves and teammates accountable. If they feel sick, don't play. Um, you know, obviously, you know, listen, baseball is a game of emotion and tradition. A lot of that is, you know, high-fiving guys after big plays in the dugout, spitting, you know, you know, talking to guys while they're on first base, you know, as a first baseman. Listen, there's a lot of tradition when it comes with baseball, but those guys are going to have to change their habits, and it's going to be tough. But if they want to complete this season, players are going to have to do whatever it takes. And when Rob Manfred says that to the player, to you know, Tony Clark, the Players Association president, that the season could be canceled if behaviors don't change, he's very – it's not a threat. It's the reality of what's going on. The Marlins have been hit hard. But they haven't been the only team that have been affected by positive cases, as in the Phillies and the Cardinals. 
and there there will likely be more teams down the line assuming the season continues to be played. There's there is one thing I wanted to say about this. I think baseball should have had a bubble format. Uh, the NBA and NHL have not had uh, almost any positive cases since going to the bubble. Um, and I think it's the best way you're able to control the narrative, control a lot of outside uh, sort. Like when you're traveling, you can't control the the sanitation of the plane, of the hotel, of the locker room. When you're in a bubble, you're able to control a lot of different things. You you can control how food is delivered, where the players stay, where they can't go. You don't have to worry about travel. Um, you know, and I think baseball, if they're not able to finish the season, they're going to regret not going to a bubble format. Real quick, one couple quick points on the upcoming college football season. Um, listen, I'm not a fan of college football potentially being played if there are no students at the university. If there's no students at the university and the football players are student athletes, they're not athlete students, they're student athletes, then they shouldn't be playing either if no other student is on campus. I think that's completely wrong to expect football players to put their health on the line while regular students do not. I mean, I think that makes no sense to me, especially since these guys aren't getting paid or so we think they're not getting paid. So for them to risk their health and, you know, no other students have to worry about that or go to in-person classes, I think that's just completely wrong. But having said that, if the season does start a mid-September start, the Pac-12, SEC, and ACC all shifted to mostly conference game schedules, 10 game conference only schedules with the ACC throwing one non-conference game in there. Um, I think this is the way to go. You can control the narrative and control potential spreading because you're only playing in-conference games and not having to travel uh, cross-country for non-conference games. Thank you for listening to the Get a Grip podcast. I'm your host, Corey Grip. Have a good night.